Good morning. How are you? It is good to be with you guys. I missed you. Are you awake? Man, it's, God has been so faithful. 11 years of ministry here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, and God continues to show his faithfulness and to pour out his love on us. I have been, in the last six months, um, almost every weekend at a different church throughout the United States of America. And, and guys, that is significant because it's really difficult um, to get that kind of open door from the Lord. And that open door is because God cares about Africa. God cares about His Word. He cares about the gospel being preached. He cares about children being helped, women being helped. All those doors are open because when we do the work of God, doors will always be open. We're going to talk about that in the study today. When I was in the United States, and, and by the way, I, I can't say it enough, I really missed you guys. And um, I, I, I forget at times how different our cultures are from America to, to Kenya. And it's been one of the probably greatest experiences of my life is really being immersed in two different cultures, the culture I grew up in and the culture of Kenya. I'm, it's, it's shocking to me at times how shy you guys are with me. I come back and no one's talking very much. Hi right, guys, I'm a normal guy, come up, tell me if you got a girlfriend, I want to hear about it, tell me if you have a fiance, um, t tell me if you, you know, need prayer on getting a, a, a wife or a husband. You guys are so quiet. And by the way, all the weight that you lost, because everybody looks so skinny to me, I picked it up in the United States. I'm going to stand behind here today so you don't see my belly. But I was in the United States, and a few people made some comments that I, I thought about. They said, you know, Josh, the Lord has really opened the door for you. And um, I thought about that because... It can appear that the Lord opens doors for certain men or for certain women because of certain men or certain women. And that is a dangerous thought process. The Lord opens certain doors for men or women because the Lord blesses always His Word and when people are in obedience to what he's asking Christians to do, there will always be open doors. It doesn't matter who you are. And that's really important because we can think because of our race or because of our finances or because of um, some sort of intellectual IQ ability, all these different things that God is going to use us. And that is the opposite of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the strong. And I've been telling people in the States, it's because you guys have heard maybe, if you're, if you're not too new, that we have a missions organization that, that we started last summer called Great Commission Ministries, where we want to save children, not just in Kenya, but as many children as we can in Africa, Yes, we want to help them with food and, and clothing and shelter, orphans, 
But more importantly, we want to disciple them as we preach the gospel to them through the church. It's very specific. And if, if, if you're new and you don't know me, you'll know very quick as you hear my preaching over the next few months that I'm all about the church, the body of Christ, the ecclesia. It is the strength of our society. The moment that you see a society really shutting down the church, silencing the voice of the church is when that society is in big, big trouble. And we've seen that at every point in history over the last 2,000 years. And it's not so much the Lord picks somebody because of who they are, but when you start preaching his word, when you're about his church, when you're about helping the orphan, then God blesses it. Why? Because that's who he is. That's what his heart is. And the Lord has opened up huge doors. We thank God for all that he's done over the next 11 years, or last 11 years, and hopefully what he's going to do over the next 11 years as well. So guys, I love you so much. I missed you. Um, the worship just always blesses me, though I guess I'm getting older. It was a little loud for me. You know you're getting old when you come in. It's like, is that too loud? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Over the next few months, we're going to go through as much of the book of Romans as I can. Though we will have a break this weekend, as this weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, will focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. Let me read for you the first 17 verses of the book of Romans, chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise 
and to unwise, so as much as in, that is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, for bringing us together once again, not just as a church, but Lord, but bringing my family here to be reunited with my family here, my Christian brothers and sisters. Lord, we know that it is only by your words that we are lifted up, strengthened, filled with your spirit to walk in the boldness that you've called us to walk in. And yet it's so tempting at times to deviate from your word, to walk in the flesh, to preach doctrines that may tickle the ears of those who come to sit and listen. And nevertheless, we desire deeply to be in your will, to walk according to your plan, and that is to be in your word. I pray that your holy word would be poured out in us and that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us as we begin this glorious book. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Romans is said to be the greatest doctrinal book in all of the Bible. I heard said yesterday by one Bible commentator that the book of Romans has every single biblical doctrine in it, biblical New Testament doctrine. The word law is mentioned 78 times in the book of Romans. Not all in reference just to the law of Moses, but different references like the law of God, the, of righteousness and holiness is written not just on tablets of stone, but written in our hearts. And not this coming Sunday because we have Christmas, but the following one, when we study verses 18 to the end of the chapter, and even into chapter 2, we're going to see something so profound that you really don't want to miss it. Um, it's important. The book of Romans and those verses specifically that we'll study in a couple Sundays actually teaches us that having never read a Bible that people can know things about God, know that He is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and that he is more than one. Those three things somebody can know without ever reading a Bible. Very interesting. And the Bible says to the extent that they can know those things, they are without excuse to the point that God can judge them, kill them, send them to hell, and they've never read the Bible answering the questions that so many either nominal Christians or people who want to critique the Bible and the way of salvation by saying, oh, even those people in Africa or South America 
who've never heard the name of Jesus, who are an unreached people group, will go to hell if they don't get born again through the name of Jesus Christ? The Bible answers that question. We're going to study that in a couple weeks. The book of Romans mentions the word law 78 times, the word righteousness 66 times, emphasizing the righteousness of Christ that can be imputed to us only when we believe in faith. And the word faith is mentioned 62 times in the book of Romans. So not through the law can we be saved, but through the righteousness of Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, is this massive emphasis in the book of Romans. And it is really this incredible jewel um, some lawyers throughout the centuries, not in just our modern era, said this is the greatest argument in terms of how lawyers, people of the law, can pre present an argument uh, uh, to a court of law. And that's exactly what Paul does. Paul says here... A bondservant of Jesus Christ, in the first verse, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Those two verses teaches us that Paul did not call himself, that God called him to be an apostle, somebody who was sent to the Gentiles to be a slave. Not to be somebody who accumulates wealth because of the position God has given him. Not somebody who can accumulate power because of the position God has given him. But somebody who now becomes a slave of the people that God has called him to minister to. There's a massive difference, ladies and gentlemen, between a person who recognize themselves, who calls themselves to be an apostle, who calls themselves to be a prophet, opposed to God calling them to be somebody who was sent out to a people group. You cannot mistake the calling of God upon somebody's life. Especially when they're called in the manner that the apostle Paul was called in his ministry. Now it's not just Africa, but throughout the world. People call themselves to usurp some sort of authority and power over people so that they can accumulate power and wealth. In fact, if, if any of you have heard of the NAR, that is the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. The New Apostolic Reformation, people um, like Kenneth Copeland or um, Bill Johnson of the Bethel Church, I think that's his name, and uh, all these different people. And uh, listen, I, if you thought, man, he, he's only back the first Sunday, he's already mentioning names. I knew it. But these people actually claim to be the new apostles of the new church age. These are their claims. And that not just through Scripture, 
but apart from Scripture, that they have the authority to minister God's will and God's Word, not just God's Word, but God's Word apart from what is revealed in these 66 books, and that they can reveal that to us. And it is a lie. Paul doesn't say an apostle separated to the uh, gospel of God to be a bond slave or to, a, to, to, to be a wealth uh, accumulator, to be somebody who is going to uh, accumulate all this power. In fact, much of the time, the people that Paul was ministering to, because he spoke, spoke truth to them so often, they hated him for it, especially the Corinthian church. He is a bond slave, not a bond servant. That's a, that's a bad translation. He is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He belongs completely to Christ. It says separated to the gospel. Before Paul was called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ, he was a Sanhedrin and Pharisee. The word Pharisee means separated from something. And the Pharisees were separated from what they thought was the wickedness, especially of the Gentiles, and the unrighteousness of the Jews who did not practice the law the way they did. The Pharisees separated from something, and to the point where when the Pharisees would be walking down the street and Gentiles would be walking towards them, they would walk to the other side of the street because they couldn't even touch the Gentiles, it would defile them, and because they're Pharisees, which, as I said, means separated from something, they were separated from the unrighteousness of the Pharisees and the unrighteousness of the Jews if they weren't practicing the law to the degree that the Pharisees were. Paul says here, through this radical transformation that he has, in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus, he gets born again and something changes drastically in his life. And this is very important that we understand this. He goes from being a Pharisee who separated from something to be a slave, apostle sent to the Gentiles, separated to something. Separated to the gospel, for the gospel, a slave of the gospel. And this is immensely different than the office that he previously held as being a religious leader. I believe that this transition is one of the largest transitions that most Christians have never made in their lives. And that is the transition of being separated from something to separated to something. When we think of being separated from sin, we will immediately, if I, and, the, and the studies prove this, are separated from sin in the sense that we think about sin, and that is we're separated from drunkenness, from murder, from sexual immorality, from strife, from slander, from gossip, 
you know, covetousness. All these different things, we immediately think about the Christian life and sin. And we need to stop thinking about it only in those ways and consider what the Apostle Paul is saying here that he was separated for something. See, there is the sin of commission that is committing the sins that we should not commit, but I believe the greater sin eludes our minds so often that most people have never made the transition that the Apostle Paul has made here. And that is the sin of omission. That is omitting the things we're supposed to do. That is not doing what we're supposed to do. Oh, as long as we're not drunk, as long as we don't kill anybody, as long as we don't steal anybody's property, then we're being a good Christian. But the reality is, so many people's souls can be saved, but their lives are lost. They are actually born again, having really not do, done anything that God is requiring them to do, asking them to do, be, be because we're bond slaves, especially when it comes to participating in gospel discipleship. Being a Christian, not just in the walls that houses the body of Christ, the church of Christ, but going out and preaching the gospel no matter what the world says we're supposed to say. Being sacrificial with our time, our resources. There is a massive difference to being separated from something and separated to something. And if you haven't made the transition where your life is practicing the things of God, that you are not committing sin by omitting the things you're supposed to do, I encourage you to repent of that and begin walking out the Christian life in the world that you live in. Which he promised, the Bible says, before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The Bible consistently will always make reference to the things that were prophesied concerning Jesus Christ. Something that we're going to be reminded of this weekend as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, is that the Old Testament scriptures have prophesied things concerning Christ, like his birth, <clears throat> where he would be born, where he would flee to, where he would be raised up in, the kind of miracles that we, he would perform, the kind of teachings that he would teach all prophesied in the Old Testament. And Paul, as he begins, one of the greatest doctrinal letter in all of the Bible, begins by saying, and often will always do this, even all the writers of the New Testament, especially Peter, in 2 Peter, when he makes reference to the, um, men of God writing the Word of God, 
Even in 1 John, what we have seen, what we have touched, what we have handled concerning Jesus Christ, all of these men, the Apostle John, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, will consistently make reference to God's Word. You know a church is in real trouble when they start making reference to what God is saying, not using the Scripture to back it up. Have you guys ever seen this happen? And I've, I know I've said this before at our church here. But you'll have ministers, they'll even bring their Bibles out and they'll put it on the pulpit. And they'll look down like they're going to read something. And maybe they read a verse or two, but then they say, oh, wait. Oh, wait. Wait, God is speaking to me. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, oh, thank you, God. Oh, okay, okay. I got it. I got it. And then they go and they tell you what God is saying. If you ever see somebody do that kind of nonsense, you just get up and you leave. You know, a few months ago when we have the Love the Bible and Change Africa conference, who, raise your hand if you were at the conference, Love the Bible and Change Africa, oh, most of you. Wasn't that a wonderful time? Well, you guys noticed that I had brought several people from America to participate in the conference with us. Some of them were pastors, some of them were doing music, others were just attending. Well, a few days before we had the conference, we were invited to Polytechnic to um, participate in one of their Christian Union events. Do we have any Polytechnic students in the house? Raise your hand if you're Polytechnic. Were you guys there at this meeting? I know you were, I, I, I saw you there. So we went. And, and these guys from America who've never been to Africa, there were supposed to be only two preachers, me and uh, the pastor Greg Houston, who was here preaching at the conference. You guys remember his teaching. It was the best teaching I've ever heard him preach. And he's a good preacher. He preached on the difference between the presence of God in somebody's life and the manifest presence out from somebody's life. Very good teaching. Well, we sit down at this meeting and another guy was invited, a young man actually, to preach before us. And I'm telling you guys, it was as bad as any Winter's Chapel preacher you've ever heard. Just awful. Talking about getting rich because uh, you would just have enough faith to get a lot of money, all the, all the stuff we've all heard before. I, I, I was so pleased, even though I felt very awkward and uncomfortable. I, I, it's very uncomfortable to be in a situation like that. I don't want to go in and have an awkward moment with 300 people. I know you guys may think I do, but I don't. And so I'm thinking, oh, Lord, now i got to confront this guy in front of everyone. And so I tried to give myself a way out, by the way. So I called the organizer. During the preaching over, I, I said, listen, I just want you to know that if you still want me to preach, I'm going to speak against this man and what he said. If you don't want me to, I can understand because I don't want to be disrespectful and I will just leave now. 
And he said, no, no, we want you to preach. Okay. But something I was very pleased at is that our Mazungu friends got to experience what we have experienced our whole lives in Kenya. And they've never experienced this. Most of these guys grew up in Calvary Chapel their whole lives. They've never experienced this stuff. So when you see a man or a woman start getting revelation from God that is separate from Scripture, and you're not preaching the next session so you can confront them, just leave. Because that is a doctrine of demons. It's a doctrine of demons. So Paul here is saying, he is affirming his ministry and his call by God through the Word of God. In verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. He's writing very uniquely in this book of Romans. And the Roman, book of Romans is split up in four parts. You have the wrath of God in the first three chapters. You have the grace of God. You have the plan of God. And you have the will of God. It's broken up into four different parts. And he's telling them, you Christians in Rome are called. You're the called of God. But it's unique. He's not writing to a church or to a group of churches. To a church like the Philippian church or the Corinthian church or a group of churches like the book of Galatians. He is writing to a city of Christians. He's writing to the Christians in Rome. He says, you are called by God. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, always said when he was teaching on these kinds of verses that you can never have peace before you've received the grace of Jesus Christ. If you and I do not receive the grace of Christ upon salvation and the continued grace of Christ, through sanctification, you can really never have the peace of Jesus Christ in your life. And he says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He is giving Jesus Christ the glory for the salvation of all the Christians in Rome. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of Son. Uh, of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul says that their faith is being mentioned throughout the whole world because the empire of Rome was persecuting all of the Christians throughout the whole world, and that persecution was heaviest and hottest in Rome. You guys heard about Nero, we've talked about him before here, who hated Christians, and he was a very deviant, demonic man. He would dip Christians in tar, kind of a wax-like tar, and he would have these parties with these orgies and drunkenness, and, and he would light Christians on fire, 
And because Christians were preaching that they're the light of the world, him and all, the, all, all of these people uh, at his party, the Nero the, was the emperor of Rome, would point to the Christians burning alive and they would mock them by saying, you're the light of the world. So they were being persecuted and yet many of them, in fact, most of them were not denouncing Christ. They were not walking away from Christianity. So their faith was being spoken of throughout the whole world. He also mentions here that he is, does not cease to make mention of them in their prayers, his prayers. You know, guys, our prayer lives need to change, and probably most of us. Paul says this to the Galatians, all the churches in that region. Could have been up to 10. He says it to the Corinthians. He says it to the Ephesians. He says it to the Philippians. He says it to the Colossians. He he prays for every single church. And even beyond that, he talks about praying for people. Paul is the greatest intercessor prayer in the New Testament, as far as we can tell, because of how he constantly tells people and encourages them that he's praying for them. Who do we pray for besides ourselves? Do you pray for other churches? Do you pray for your wife and your children, your mother, your father? Do you pray for your brothers and your sisters? Do you pray for your pastors? Or do we just criticize them all for being carnal? Paul is an intercessory prayer, and as mysterious as it is still to me, I know for sure that intercessory prayer changes things. It's powerful. It's a ministry. Some of you may recall my testimony having been a drug addict and a drunkard All the way from the age of 11 years old, I started smoking what you guys call bangy. Which, by the way, I still like the smell of bangy. I don't know why. It just... A skunk on the side of the road smells good to me. Because it smells like bangy. I'm sure even, on a side note, by the way, I'm sure that it would even be a good time to have some alcohol and smoke Uh, a joint of bangi. Is it sin? Yes, it's wrong. But sin is pleasurable. We have to come to a place where we love Christ more than our sin and we choose Him even when we're tempted by it. But I had, around the age of 14, 15, I I started using heroin. Heroin is a, a, a drug that is derived from the poppy plant. Most of it comes, uh, I think, from Afghanistan. And what I was doing with it is I would break it down through fire and I would uh, uh, suck it into a needle and I would stab myself intravenously and I would administer the drug. I was basically a doctor before I got saved, guys. Sometimes I go to the hospital, they're doing the, 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 the IV, I'm like, let me do it. They don't let me do that in America, only in Kenya. 
And, and I had around 17, 18 years old, no, I think I was 19 years old at this particular point, I had overdosed on heroin. And my mom was at this restaurant, this nice restaurant in America, and she had got the phone call that I had overdosed on heroin. They didn't know if I was going to live or if I was going to die. And she went into the bathroom, she began to cry. Well, in this bathroom, there was one of the workers in the bathroom, an old woman, who came to my mom and inquired what was the problem, and my mom explained that I had overdosed on heroin and I could die. And so this woman said that she was going to pray for me. Two years later, my mom walked into the same restaurant, walked in the same bathroom, and the same old woman said to my mom, walked up to her, remembered her, and said, how's Josh doing? I've been praying for him every day for two years. Intercessory prayer. I would venture to say that woman has way more reward in heaven than I ever will have as a missionary here in Africa because of her intercessory prayer life. Paul never ceases to make mention of all the people he loves and all the churches in the entire world in his prayers. He says, verse 10, making request, if by some means now at last I might find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. This is very important. Two things here. Paul says that I may find a way in the will of God. This is very important because this is not some subjective thing, at least to us. And what I mean by this is Paul wasn't just like, I hope I can go to Rome and I don't know if God's going to let me, but I hope I can get there and I'm trying to find a way in the will of God to do so. No, no, no. The Apostle Paul had been told by God that he gets to go to Rome. Paul knew he was going to Rome because God told him that he was going to let him go to Rome. This is very significant because so many of us are trying to find the subjective will of God when we're disobeying, as I had mentioned being set apart as a slave for something, doing stuff for Christ on what has already been revealed by God. God has revealed so much to us. He's even given us a list of conditions before we get married. And so many of us is like, I just don't know who God has for me. Well, why don't you just take the list God has given you and go pick somebody? You got to marry somebody. If you're a guy, she has to be a she. If you're a she, she has to be a he. That's on the list, no matter what America's telling you. They have to be born again. That salvation has to be accompanied with fruit. Guys, it's not a long list. That's about all there is. There's some other wise things to consider. 
Probably they have to be an adult. So go find somebody who fits the bill. Find a way in the will of God. He's already said that it's not good for man to be alone. Eutychus knows that. <laughs> you know, we're so worried at times. It's like, I just know what the will of God is for me. Well, let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you something. You want to know what the will of God is for you? Jesus Christ said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the will of God for your life. It's the highest calling you can ever participate in. And we need... To find a way, a way in the will of God on how to share the gospel with every single person that we come in contact with in this world. Especially if we know them longer than 15 minutes. Find a way in the will of God. I was with a guy this weekend. Just met him. Some, or not this weekend, this week. Some Kenyan guy, a Maze. And he starts talking to me. I didn't even start talking to him. He's like, hey starts talking to me and here in Eldoret and he wants to talk and he wants to hang out so I sat there I'm hanging out with him and guys it's not going to take longer than five minutes with me it's like hey are you a Christian oh yeah yeah I'm a Catholic it's like not the same thing bro <laughs> I don't know it's my way you don't have to do it my way exactly but what you do have to do what you must do, what's absolutely necessary and imperative in the world that we're living in right now, in a world that is trying to silence the church, is find a way in the will of God to make Christ known. So that you can use your gift to encourage others, as Paul is mentioning here. And he says here, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you. Also, just as among the other Gentiles, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul saying something very important. Who does he owe? He owes the Jews to barbarians, wise, he's referring to Jews too. Unwise, he's not just saying there's some wise and unwise. He is saying here, I owe every single human being. And why? Because Christ not only loves them, but demonstrated his love for them in purchasing them with his blood. And anybody that Christ loves and purchased with his blood, I owe. I am in debt to. Do you guys wake up in the morning and think of yourself as in debt to everyone around you? Because the Apostle Paul did. You ever think of yourself as, I owe that person. So 
it's not just about finding a way in the will of God, but in finding a way in the will of God, you recognize that one of the biggest reasons, one of the greatest motivators in finding a way in the will of God to share Christ with people is because you owe them that. Christ paid a price for the world. And I don't care if people don't want to hear that. You owe them. You owe them to share Christ with them. We'll discuss the power of the gospel next time. As the worship team comes up, let's end here. Guys, you know what is more dangerous than anything for the Christian? You know what I believe is more dangerous than the sin of commission? Is the sins of omission. You know what scares me more than anything for me personally as a Christian who needs to find a way in the will of God to make Christ known, who is motivated by understanding that I owe everybody to preach Christ to everybody? It, it scares me that I don't do that. That's what, it scares, that's what scares me about the Christian life, that one day I'll just get so comfortable that I stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of us in the church, in fact, by the way, most people around the world in church have never began sharing Jesus Christ with people. Guys, we have families, members, who are going to hell. They're wrapped up in so many different religions. That that's not even the ones at the bars. That's the ones at, at the Catholic Church and at all these cultic churches and cultic religions around. Or these hyper-Pentecostal movements that are really practicing witchcraft, not Christianity. And we must go to them and we must, we must preach Christ to them. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that God has sent him to be an apostle, but he's also chose the Christians in Rome to represent Christ, to find a way in the will of God, to make Christ known throughout the world because they're in debt to the world in the same way that Paul's in debt to the Greeks and to the barbarians and to the wise and to the unwise. What, what we need to do this morning is, is to do what the, we're going to sing the song is, Lord, send me. Because Jesus Christ, in John chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, way more than 20 times, Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of John that the Father had sent him into the world. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he said, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. We need a revival in Kenya. We need a revival in Eldoret. And that revival begins with people who are going to be obedient, finding a way in the will of God, because they're in debt to Christ and to man to make Christ known. May it be on your heart as we sing this song, Repent of not sharing Christ with people. Repent of the sin of omission and share the gospel 
with Christ with your family, your friends, and your neighbors and your colleagues.